and I'm glad to see you this morning. And uh, man, what a song when uh, when Jesus sees the blood, he will pass over us. And what a, what a blessing. And you think, well, what does that mean? That, that comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Exodus, chapter number uh, 12, or probably around to verse 12, chapter 12 or 11, uh, where, where God commanded the nation of Israel to, to take a lamb, a sacrifice, and, uh, and cut its throat and take the blood. And you're thinking, man, that's gross. Uh, aren't you glad we don't live in the Old Testament days? And aren't you glad we aren't Jewish and would have had to do, do that? Um, but uh, they did that. And, they, and then they had to take that blood and they had to apply it to their doorposts. And, uh, and when the death angel passed through, uh, if he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. And that represents our salvation. Praise the Lord that we're saved. Uh, and uh, praise the Lord, we'll, we'll die physically here on the earth. Uh, if the Lord doesn't come back, but I tell you what, we look forward to a home in heaven where we'll never die again, and uh, we'll spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. What a blessing uh, to be able to think about that and understand that, uh, that the Lord is always with us. Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning, uh, and Pastor is out of town this morning. He's uh, uh, headed elsewhere just for today. He should, Lord willing, he'll be back maybe tonight, but definitely by Wednesday and Sunday he'll be here. And so we're flying uh, just us this morning. So praise the Lord. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. And as you're turning there, Ephesians, or Philippians chapter number 2 is where we're going to be. And I started a new series last week uh, entitled Strengthening the Inner Man. And uh, the idea behind that is in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 uh, it says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now we know, um, we know, we might know it mentally, but, but very few of us, including myself, myself included, practice the exercise that we should get. You know, uh, the doctor's always saying, well, you need to exercise more and you need to lose weight and this and that. And we know that mentally, uh, but, but practicing it, man, is another thing. Uh, and we know that physically. But honestly, the spiritual is the same thing. There's this truth of that spiritual inner man that we need to exercise and walk with the Lord to be strengthened. And as Ephesians says, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And that's what we're aiming for. That's what our lesson series is about, that we would find truths to be able to strengthen our inner man. In Philippians chapter number 2, in our text that we're going to be looking at this morning, verse number 5, the Bible says this, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth 
and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's stop right there and let's pray. And Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, the opportunity, really the privilege, Father, that we have to be in your house. God, thank you for strength. Thank you for health. Thank you for opportunity, God, to be here this morning. And God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person uh, and bless the, uh, the message. God, I pray that you'd use me and speak through me as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this idea of strengthening the inner man, uh, this passage is, is really an incredible passage. I, I look at it many times and, and just reading through it time and time again, I think about the life of Jesus Christ. And, and there's, there's no, there is literally no greater example that could be had than that of the life of Jesus Christ. He himself, being God, came to the earth and you look at the life, you think, well, man, you would think that God himself, if he's going to come to earth, would live a, a, maybe a, a higher life. No, Jesus lived amongst the lowly. Uh, Jesus said, I have not where to lay my head. Uh, Jesus went from being a guest to many houses, and, and, uh, and many times we find, I was, I was looking through the Bible the other day, and, and, uh, and looking there in uh, John chapter 4, and uh, where the, the, he go, they were going through Samaria and the, the woman at the well there, he goes to the well and his disciples go to buy food and he said these words, I thirst. And, and I know I've looked at it, I know I've thought of it before, but here is God himself in the flesh and he's thirsty. And he suffered thirst. He suffered being tired. You'll find in the Bible that he was asleep in the back of the boat. You'll find that he was tired. You'll find that he felt pain. You'll find that the God of heaven, the all-powerful, almighty God, came to the world, to the earth, and lived like man. And then he lived below many of what would be our level, a common man. Uh, you know, and, and could you imagine... Uh, Jesus Christ doing that and God did exalt him later as we read in our text but that was after while he was here on this earth uh, he certainly lived a very humble life and I want to look at the idea of humility um, humility is defined as this freedom from pride and arrogance humbleness of mind a modest estimate of one's own worth just that first phrase Freedom from pride and arrogance. It's hard for us to imagine that, to be honest with you, because uh, we are all born with a little bit of pride within us. I mean, we just are. It's just our nature. Uh, you know, I'm speaking to adults, and most of you have, uh, have children or have experience with children, of whether they were nieces or nephews or uh, whatever, but we have a little bit of experience. And you know, you know as well as I do, Nobody has to teach a child to be selfish. They're born with that innate selfish desire. Matter of fact, we struggle to teach our children not to be selfish. Why is that? Because it's just nature within us to be selfish, to look out for numero uno. That would be number one. Uh, that we want the best for ourselves. That's, that's thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think to an extent. And that's kind of a seed plant of pride in every person's life. And the opposite 
uh, of humility, or of pride rather, would be humility. And pride is just very deeply rooted. Matter of fact, the, uh, the book of Proverbs talks time and time again uh, about pride and arrogance and a haughty spirit. And we're going through the book of uh, Proverbs on Wednesday nights, and we have been for some time. And man, I encourage if, if you have opportunity that you come out on a Wednesday night. And uh, the book of Proverbs is amazing, to be honest with you. It's just full of practical wisdom that we look at. And, and it's amazing how God just uh, gives us very, very practical information for day-to-day in our life. The Bible says this about pride in Proverbs 18.12. You can just jot it down. We won't turn there. Uh, but 18.12, it says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. In 22.4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. In 11.2, the Bible says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. In 16.18, it says, Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. And so the Bible has a lot to say about pride and humility and, uh, and being humble. And Jesus lived a life that was humble. Pride is like a, a small crack. Uh, it's small at first. I remember as a teenager, I bought my first car, and, uh, and I paid, a, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and, and, and I paid a whopping $250 for that car. It sat in a field uh, for I don't know how long. I think I bought a $50 battery, and I put it in it, and I drove the car for uh, several years, and I didn't do anything else to it. I mean, that's what I, I changed the oil, and, uh, you know, that's really all I did. And now, it was not pretty. Okay, uh, if you could imagine a car that sits in a field, it was rusty, uh, to say the least. And uh, but I tell you what, it got it got the job done. And I remember driving that thing to to school. And uh, as I was on my way to school, uh, the windshield had a, a small crack just below uh, the passenger side, just out of the view line. It was like way down low, and I knew it was there. And I thought, ah, it's really not a big deal. We'll just let it go. You know, and, and, uh, and so I let it go and drove the car, and, and eventually uh, winter hit, and we were living in upstate New York, so it was very cold, and, uh, and, and one morning I was driving to school, and, and I, I looked over at this tiny little crack uh, in my windshield, and it was a little bit bigger. I'm like, that thing just, that thing grew. And, uh, and, and the, the week happened to be a really cold week. And, and as I got in my car every day, I noticed that thing uh, just, it got bigger every single day. And, and as I was driving, I, uh, one day I was driving and it was freezing out. I mean, it was cold. I, I'm, I kid you not, it was probably 20 below. And, uh, and man, I had my heat on full blast and I had it on defrost uh, because and, and as I did, I, I kid you not, that crack had climbed up my windshield and, and it was more towards the center now. And as I was watching that thing turn and it started growing across my windshield while I'm driving. I'm like, this is not good. So I reached over and I shut my heat off immediately. And I, man, I froze the rest of the way to, uh, to school. And I thought, man, this is now it's an, an, uh, a ticketable offense. I mean, the police could now pull me over because it's within my view and, and I could get in trouble. And, and listen, sometimes 
pride starts like that in our life, it's a little tiny thing that if it goes unchecked and if it goes without being corrected and if it continues in our life, it can grow into this catastrophic problem uh, that becomes visible to many people and become a serious problem in our life. And as we think about pride, we need to uh, realize and understand that. And pride puts self first, uh, kind of like that crack. It appears uh, in a small form and grows. Listen, pride will display itself many times in social media and the way we treat other people. Uh, it's amazing uh, how that, that happens, but it becomes very evident. Let me say this as well. Pride is easier to detect in others than in our own life. It is. It's very, we, we see it. We're like, uh, well, that was prideful. And, uh, and, then, and then the verse that would come to my mind is, uh, while well, you see the, uh, the, the little problem that's in your brother's uh, life, but you don't see the, the log that's in your own eye. Uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. And so as we, as we think about the idea of pride and humility, uh, let's not get caught up in noticing other people's pride. Let's look ourselves our own pride, for the small little crack that we may have in our life. And let's try to root that out and repair that before it grows into a real problem. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, and I just want you to see this. Isaiah chapter 14, save your spot in Philippians, we'll be back there. But Isaiah chapter 14, in verse number 12, Isaiah chapter 14, and Isaiah chapter 14 is a great chapter. Uh, it explains how, uh, how Lucifer, Satan, fell from heaven. And this is the passage, uh, and I've, I've referenced it before, but I just, I think it's wise and I think it's good to look at it in the very word of God and see it. And, and you can mark right there beside it that this is how Satan fell from heaven. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter number 14, in verse number 12, he says this, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken, didst weaken the nations? Let me stop right there in verse 12. Let me just say this, because you may not know this, but uh, Satan, before he fell and became Satan and became the devil, was an angel in heaven. Uh, he was a, a very powerful angel. Matter of fact, the Bible would lead us to believe through studying that stuff and understanding that. And so he did have a place in heaven prior to his fall and, uh, and prior to him becoming who he is today. And this is how this took place. Look with me at verse number 13. So he says in verse 12, how art thou fallen? Look at verse number 13. For thou hast said in thine heart. This was not vocalized. This was not something that he said out loud. This was something that he thought within himself that he pondered and he allowed that little seed thought of pride, that little crack, that little thing in his life to grow and blossom into a, a, a very bad problem within his life. Look at here in verse number, number 13 that we left off. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. 
yet thou shalt be brought down to hell sides of the pit. And so we could see there in these verses that Satan's, Lucifer's fall uh, revolved around his pride and his arrogance. And when the Bible says that a haughty spirit goeth before a fall, here's an example of it. I mean, that Satan would himself would say, man, I, I'm going to ascend into heaven. And it wasn't just being in heaven. I will uh, take over the throne. I will be like high. I mean, he was exalting himself to the level of God, yea, and even beyond the level of God. And God said, whoa, that's, that's prideful. That's haughtiness. That's arrogance. That's not going to fly in heaven. And so, uh, so we find that, listen, uh, the Bible is very clear on pride and arrogance, and it's a problem that we need to uh, address and look at in our life if we want to strengthen our inner man. The Bible says this, you can just note this down, James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Boy, what a verse for us to remember. Uh, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. That's James 4.10. That's saying, you know what, God? I'm not much, but everything that I am, I'm going to give it to you. Versus coming to God and saying, God, I am the, I want to pick something arbitrary that's, that's, I am the best, what's the word when you say, when you say somebody who grows a tree, arbalist, I don't know the right word, that's, uh, but I'm the best tree grower that you, boy, God, I mean, you were really going to be blessed with me in the ministry being the best tree grower that you ever had in that church. I picked that because that's a silly example because I didn't want to pick anything that somebody does. But you see what I'm saying? We can go to God and we can say, man, I'm, I am the best at this or I'm the best at that. And man, God is really blessed to have me serving for him. When in reality, uh, the, the Bible says, humble yourselves in sight of God and he shall lift you up. So in Philippians, back in our text, Philippians chapter number two, we find three things uh, that we need to do that Jesus did uh, and that I think are very helpful and they're, they're very uh, clear in this passage. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, back in our text. <clears throat> and verse number 1. We started at verse number 5, so this is the context to that. He says in verse number 1, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. The first thing that we notice in our passage here in verses 1 and 2 is, number one, we must seek unity. We have to seek unity. I was reminded, and I, I've told this before, but uh, it's been a while, and uh, I, I know this, that division is destructive. What We lived in Peru for a long time as missionaries, and uh, many years, and I really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. And, and uh, uh, we learned a lot of the Peruvian history. I mean, you're just there, and you're re to relate to those people, it's wise to have a knowledge of where they've come from and who they are and, and things of that nature. So I, I, I enjoyed learning a little bit about it. And I'm by no means, I'm not a historian or, or anything of that nature, but uh, I do find it very interesting. And uh, in, in Peru... Uh, there's a, a culture, before they all spoke Spanish, they all spoke Quechua. 
uh, and it was dominated by the Inca Indians. The Inca Indians uh, was, had one of the largest reigns in all of South America. It stemmed way far south and way far, far north, and Peru may have been the, uh, the, the, the center of all of that. And it was very large. It was very extensive. It was very advanced. And in the 1530s, when Francisco Pizarro arrived in Peru, the Inca Empire was just one of the most advanced societies in all of South America. And just prior to, to Francisco Pizarro arriving, smallpox had swept through uh, the Inca reign, and it killed much of the, uh, the reigning royal family. And when it happened, it, it, left, a, it left a hole in the leadership. And so uh, the Inca king, he had two sons. Uh, one was Atahualpa, and he, he actually lived in the town that we lived in, in Cajamarca, Peru, way up in the Andes Mountains. And uh, I read his brother's name, but I don't recall it because I didn't live in that town. But uh, these two brothers, they, they, were, uh, they were warring at this time. There was division in the Incan Empire. And when Francisco Pizarro, Spaniard, arrived there in, in South America, he found himself in the middle of a power struggle in the largest Incan society in all of South America. And it allowed him to walk in with relatively a small uh, handful of army and be able to take over the entire Inca rule. That's the long and short of it. There's many details that we just ran over there. But the long and short of it is, there was serious division within that nation when Francisco Pizarro arrived and there was a power struggle between the two sons and that allowed him to kind of march in and be able to take over and, uh, and he conquered the other son and he, uh, or killed the other son and became friends with Atahualpa and, uh, and eventually he conquered him as well and, uh, and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm now in charge. Uh, and, and he was the uh, one who kind of took over in Peru. And, and what am I saying is that division is very destructive. So much so that, that one of the largest societies of the time, uh, in, at least in South America, that's excluding Europe, uh, was conquered by division. And think about this. Today, man, in America, uh, division permeates our society. It really does. And, and I read that and I thought about the fact that, listen, news media and social media, man, they feed off of division. I, they just do. I mean, it's negative, and so uh, that's what really uh, fuels the boat. And, and you know what? In the end of the day, their job is to get viewers because the more viewers they get, then the more ad the advertisers pay to them. That's just kind of the way it works. But I'm saying this is that uh, division is very destructive. And listen, we can see that in our society. You can see that in a church. You can see that in a family. Uh, when, when division starts to take place, there becomes a real problem. And oftentimes division is a direct result of pride of one person uh, saying, well, I should be in control or I should be in charge or something of that nature. And it becomes very divisive. And we find here in our text that the Bible says that we ought to seek unity and our unity is based on our fellowship in Christ. Our fellowship in Christ. We ought to be, uh, it says there in verse number one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit. And we ought to have fellowship 
in Christ. Consolation means uh, alleviation of misery or encouragement. Listen, sometimes we need that. Uh, I mean, how many of you, you say, man, I'm tired. I had a long day. You know what? I think I'm just going to click on the news and get some comfort and consolation. You don't do that. I don't either. Because you're not going to find comfort and consolation there. It doesn't exist. You know where you can find it? In Christ, in the Bible, with the Word of God. That's where you can find comfort. That's where you can find consolation. You can say, hey, uh, based on our, uh, the, the unity that we have is based on our fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 15 and verse 26, but when the comforter is come, Jesus was preparing his disciples. He said, listen, I am going to go away. You remember John 14, he says, he says, um, I, I will, um, he says, uh, let me turn over there and look. I can't get the first word. Oh, I know what it is. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And he was, he was preparing them. He's saying, listen, I'm not going to be here with you all the time. I'm going to leave. He's telling his disciples this. And you could imagine his disciples had abandoned their life and they had started walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that Jesus Christ was about to leave was a fearful step for them. I mean, they had abandoned everything that they knew as their regular life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's leaving. And they're saying, man. But he said, I will. He said, I will come again. But then in, in chapter 15, he goes through in several verses, he explains that the comforter will come. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent and he will comfort and he will console you. And so the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, He's saying if you find any comfort in God, if you find any uh, consolation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he's going to go on and he's going to require some stuff in the following verses, but we need to understand that, hey, he's looking for unity. And he says in verse 2, uh, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. So based, uh, our, our unity is based on fellowship with Jesus Christ. But it's not just that. We find in chapter 2, in verse number 2, it's based on our fellowship with other Christians as well. He says that in verse 2. He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. The same love. What's the same love that we would all share? You know what? Our love should, should be uh, all shared and wrapped around our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've used this illustration many times, and, and I'll use it again. If, if you have one person, and he's way over here, and, uh, and you have another person, and he's way over here, and you know what? And if God's in the center, as I'm drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I take a step closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, and as this person that's way over here, as he's drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what results? I'm a little closer to him. He's a little closer to me. Not just the Lord. Yes, we're getting closer to the Lord. And you know what? If we were to create a circle 
because all of our lives are different. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have a variance of, of, of education and, and lifestyle and, and culture and differences of many things. But as we take a step closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and as our fellowship grows in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all become a little bit closer in that circle. And so he says here in verse number two, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, being of one accord, of one mind. We need to have the same love. That would be like-minded. We need to have the same accord, one accord. That be unity in spirit. You ever <clears throat> listen to, uh, uh, man, there's nothing I enjoy better than a good quartet. I, I just, I, call me old school, I don't care. I just like uh, to hear all those parts harmonize. I, I just do. Now, there's nothing wrong with a soloist. Matter of fact, I enjoy a soloist. But, but a soloist gets up and sings, and it sounds good. But you throw another person in, and man, they harmonize, they blend well, they match the volume well, everything just blends together well, and you're like, man, that, that really sounds good. And then you throw in another person, you have the, the alto and maybe the tenor and, and maybe the bass, and you, and you put all of those parts together, and they're just well blended, and they're well put together, and, and it just sounds wonderful, and it's amazing what that is. You know what that is? That is harmony in spirit. That, that's saying, you know, while we might have the same mind, you know, everyone looks at, uh, at accomplishing goals differently. I've thought of this many times when um, I, I enjoyed living in Peru in the mountains, to be honest with you. I, I like mountains. And I've thought of this illustration many times. I thought, you know, we used to have Mount Misty when we lived way in the southern part of Peru. Mount Misty was a volcanic mountain, and it was snow-capped at, at the top, and it was quite impressive. And, and uh, the guys, I think it was every year, every other year, something they would go up there and and I really wanted, I only spent one year there, and I really wanted to go up with them, and I just didn't work it out that, that first year. I really wanted to, and I never was able to go up Mount uh, Misty to go up there. But I thought, you know what, there's more than one way to climb a peak. And sometimes one person will think, well, I'm going to go this way and get to the top of the mountain, and he's going to arrive at the top of the mountain. Somebody else might climb this way, and he's going to arrive at the top of the mountain. And sometimes we'll have, we're all shooting for the same goal. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. But, but you might do it one way, and I might do it another way. But we're going to arrive to the, uh, the, to the same peak, to the same place eventually. We need to have harmony in doing that. It's not about singing the same thing. I mean, uh, if, if the quartet stood up here and, and they all sang uh, in unison, it would be okay. There would be nothing wrong with that. But when, they're, when they harmonize, and they're all singing a little bit of a different part, but it goes well together, man, there's nothing better than that. And it's based, our unity is based on our fellowship with other Christians. And then he ends off with one mind. And it requires humility to sometimes see it another way. It's not always easy to see somebody else's point of view. It's not always easy to, uh, to go along with the way somebody else wants to do things. We're not talking about compromise. We're not talking about uh, main uh, doctrinal issues. But we're talking about working together to come to one point. And we find here that we need to be of one mind. 
we find we ought to seek unity. Look with me at verse 3. He says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Not only should we, number one, seek unity, but number two, we ought to separate from contention. We ought to separate from contention. He says here in verse number two, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. We need to refuse strife. Strife is exertion or contention for superiority. On Wednesday night uh, in the book of Proverbs, we were going through chapter 26 and uh, there was, uh, I don't know, a good four or five verses that deal with contention and deal with strife. And here the Bible says the same thing. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. In other words, well, I'm trying to outdo so-and-so because I want to be uh, superior. I want to be better than that person. That's the wrong motive. And that's what he's saying here. Let nothing be done through strife, trying to gain superiority or vainglory, to make myself look good. That would be vainglory. Uh, well, how is everyone else is going to look at this and I want to make sure that I really shine in this moment. Listen, that's the wrong motive. That's not our goal. And that would be self-exaltation, and that would go, that's going to result in contention. And so we need to separate from contention, and we need to be careful of those things. We need to refuse strife. We need to retain lowliness of mind. Look at what he says. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. D.L. Moody put it this way. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And listen, uh, we need to retain a lowliness of mind. It's not always easy, uh, but, but to esteem somebody else would be to respect them, to say, well, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's go with their idea, let's follow that. And, uh, and let's have a lowliness of mind. That's not to say that we don't have any value or we're not important, but that's to say, hey, we're going to respect other people. We're going to look at other people. Uh, and we're, again, we are not talking about sin, and we're not talking about uh, doctrinal compromising and things of that nature, but we're talking about unity and working together. We need to retain a lowliness of mind. And then lastly, in, in verse number two there, or three there, we need to regard others better. Uh, esteem, to set value on. Putting others before you is the opposite of selfishness. We know that. Uh, listen, I learned in, in VBS as a little kid growing up, uh, joy, the only way to spell joy is Jesus, others, and you. And you're always last. And when you put yourself at the end, listen, your life will be, when you, when you elevate yourself to the top, and when you're trying to uh, always please self, you know what, you'll end up totally unhappy. You will, because you'll never have enough in life. And prayer is the only way to tackle pride. And a person who desires to increase humility should seek to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ or seek to be unified in fellowship with Christ, in fellowship with the believer, and separate from strife in their life and, and contention. And then lastly, look at verse number four. He says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we, have, uh, we need to uh, seek unity. We need to separate from strife or contention. And then thirdly, we need to serve others in verse number four. Serve others. The disciples 
were fighting at one point about who should be the greatest in heaven. It was towards the end of the ministry, and I could kind of picture the disciples, and, and one of them saying, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to sit on the right hand of the throne of God. And, uh, and they were kind of uh, going back and forth, and, and Jesus said this to them in Luke chapter number 22 and verse 27. He said, for whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, it's not the one that's uh, sitting down and eating. It's not the one, uh, but rather the one that is serving. And listen, the entire life of Jesus Christ was spent on this earth, not serving self. You don't see Jesus sitting on a throne and setting up servants and saying, hey, go bring me this and hey, get me that and, and commanding everyone else. You see the entire life of Jesus Christ when he ministered on this earth was serving other people. When he touched the ears of the deaf man and made him to hear, it was an act of service. When he caused the, the blind man to see, it was an act of service and help to that person. When he, when he caused the lame to walk, it was not for Jesus Christ's sake. It was not for his own sake. He did those things out of servitude for other people that he himself would be a servant to others and thus exemplify the idea of, listen, putting others before yourself and serving others in your life. Greatness in the Christian life is not being good at looking out for yourself. It is being great at looking out for others. There's a lot of truth in that. We find in verse 4, the unselfish look. He says there, look not every man on his own things. Can I tell you a little secret that you probably already know? Every single person in this room, every one of us, we all have problems. We do. And so often we look at our life and we think, man, I'm the only one have this problem. No, we're not the only one. Matter of fact, the truth be told, there's probably other people that have bigger problems than we do. But we look at them and we focus on them and they become so big because our, our mind just mulls over them and, and, and we say, well, what about this and that? And, and it just we fret about it and we worry about it. And he's saying here in verse number four, look not every man on his own things. In other words, don't focus on your own problems. Don't, don't dwell on those problems so much that, that, hey, you can't see anybody else or help anybody else. Unselfishness is taking our eyes off of our own problems in order to help and see other people's problems. While you're focused on your own life and while you're focused on your own problems, you will never see the problems of other people's lives. And you'll think, well, I'm the only one. But we, don't, we all have problems. And we tend to be consumed and overwhelmed with our own problems. And we certainly, I'm not saying that we should ignore our problems, but there is a lot of uh, value to, hey, getting our eyes off self and, and looking around and saying, man, you know, that person has difficulties. Maybe I could help them. We have an unselfish look. And then verse 4, he says, but every man also on the things of others, we need an outward look. Jesus focused on the, his ministry on the needs of others. It's amazing. And it says in verse 5, let this mind be which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? 
the mind of serving others, the mind of uh, seeking uh, unity with the Lord Jesus Christ and other Christians, the mind of separating from strife and contentions, and the mind of, of serving other people. Listen, we need to be sure in our life to check for that little, that little crack of contention, that little crack of not contention, of pride that can be started in, in any one of our lives. You ever, anybody who owns a home or is responsible for a building knows that and the foundation's important. And if that foundation gets uh, a little crack in it, a lot of times it can even be below surface level and you won't see it. But if you don't notice it, if you don't catch the signs, the early signs of uh, sometimes it's water leaking in the basement or sometimes it's other little signs, there's little things that you can see. And, and if you don't notice those signs uh, before long, listen, you can have a, a, a beautiful house but if that foundation is ruined, you're going to have some serious problems. And, and your house can be the nicest house on the street, but if that foundation is not fixed, if that repair is not made before it grows into a real problem, hey, listen, that whole foundation could rot out right from under you. It could crack. It could crumble. The whole thing could come crashing down, and you could have a serious problem. Listen, that's the way pride is in our life. We need to be careful of the little amounts of pride that, listen, to be honest, it rears its ugly head in every one of our lives. We need to keep it in check. We need to say, hey, God, help me conquer pride in my life. Help me to be on the lookout against pride in my life. Help me to be on the lookout against arrogancy and against haughtiness and against thinking of myself more than I ought to think. And help me to seek unity with you and with other Christians. And help me to, uh, to separate myself from strife and, and, and problems and, and contention. And help me to serve other people. Listen, that's what Jesus did. What an incredible example. And it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that we would have the mind of Christ in our life. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, building and strengthening the inner man requires watching out for pride in our life, maintaining humility. Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart. Help us, God to watch out for pride in our lives. God, help us to search our heart, seek out that pride. God, to confess it, to turn it over to you. And God, not to have it grow into a serious problem in our lives. Help us keep our lives in check with you. God, thank you for your word that's so clear. Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we just have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart this morning. Seek out that little bit of crack of pride. Confess it to God. Ask God to help you with it. Don't let it go unchecked. Don't ignore it. Don't wait till it gets too large that it's a catastrophic problem. Strengthen that inner man.